Welcome into the sixth episode of Expand on That, our weekly Boston 25 sports podcast. I got, I mean, every guest is a special guest, but I got, <laughs> I got a big one here. I'm yeah. very proud to have you on. Gene Lavanchi, our own. How's it going, Gene? On it's going all right. Wednesday going all right. morning here. Glad to see uh, uh, you're in here, Austin, after um, uh, getting to know you a little bit at Emerson College, yeah. a class I taught there, and uh, one of the better students we had, and I'm not surprised that you've jumped right into something. <laughs> a real mentor right here. We talk about Tom being a mentor. You were the OG mentor. You were, <laughs> what is it, teaching, what was that? You know, I don't know. Topics, it was called Topics in Sports Media or something along those yeah. lines. A very sort of a broad-based Taught me uh, everything I know, Gene. Yeah, Literally well, I, know. <clears throat> I went to college you, for four years, and those three months or whatever. I was going to say you, were, you must have had uh, not a very strong uh, base prior yeah, to that. Day. It, it was just <laughs> all you here, Gene. Right. And that's why I'm here. You well, I'm glad you are. Congratulations, thanks, good for you. Thanks. But we're going to hop right in. I mean, a big thing we talked about a lot in that class, and I think we did a podcast right yeah, around we did. the same yeah. time about yep. a lot of this stuff. But um, was the whole sports media, how it's all changed, everything like that, but. You, a lot of people might not know, got your start just doing sports. And, yeah. I mean, I know the career timeline that you've had, and it's an interesting one. If you just want to give a quick rundown of kind of where you started and how you got here. Sure. Uh, I, I was in sports for the first uh, 17 years that I was in this business. I started in Fort Myers, Florida, came back and worked in Providence, Rhode Island. And while in Rhode Island, I concurrently worked at uh, TV38. I was the studio host for Boston Bruins Hockey for four years, which was a great experience. And uh, I learned a lot and worked with some amazing people. And then I wound up uh, at Channel 7 doing weekends and then was their sports director there up until 2003. And then uh, came over here to do morning news. And I've been doing that uh, ever since. It's been 15 years now here. Yeah, that's, that's a long time. And what is that? what was that switch like, would you say? Was it difficult? Was it something that, like, came natural? I know it's a weird one going from either news to sports or sports to news. For but. me, it worked out okay. I don't. It wasn't too weird because uh, I follow current events and I – kind of a news junkie anyway and the format at the, at the time we had of that show was very loose and I think it the skills you have covering sports with a lot of sort of thinking on your feet and ad-libbing it, it played well into what we were doing over here at that time for a morning show so it wasn't that bad it was a pretty pretty easy transition I think it was just difficult for me to want to make sure that I was sort of uh, projecting enough credibility to the audience to talk about certain things and I think after time uh, people were like, okay, this guy, he knows what he's talking about. And plus, growing up here, when you're covering politicians and people that you're familiar with, it made it a lot easier. Had I, had I gone to another market um, to do it, they may not have known about the sports background, but then you wouldn't have been as familiar with uh, everything that's happening in this city and in the state that uh, that I was. So that definitely was helpful, having grown up here and being familiar with all the key players, that sort of thing. And what I mean, we talk about journalism skills all the time. We did a lot of drills in your class, yes. but like, mm -hmm. what basic skills I think that you learned in the sports business that like carried over? What did you have? Well, I think writing is always important. Um, if you can write, I think if you can write sports creatively, you can certainly write news, and that's important to have good writing. Interview skills are, were essential. We the show we did, we had, oh uh, man, I would say either segment wise or just separate interviews, at least ten or fifteen interviews a week. So those skills trans transition nicely over for you, and just and just being aware of everything that that's going on. The other thing about covering news in this town, a lot of the news that is covered is sports related. So there was a nice easy crossover there, yeah. where people are really interested in what's happening with the Patriots and the Red Sox. And really, we're at an unprecedented time. Yeah, it's a weird, in the weird stage at yeah. this point. Yeah, when I was covering sports at Channel Seven. 
town was dubbed Loserville because we didn't, the 1990s were the only time that Boston did not get a professional sports championship. That was the only decade. You know, go back to 1920, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, Not 80s. really any, like, appearances even in the finals. Yeah, they got, uh, the Celtics got to the Eastern Conference final. That was that was it. The Patriots lost in the Super Bowl in 1996 uh, to the yeah. Packers. And that was it. So every other decade, yeah. you know, there were championships in the You've professional been world. You've been blessed. <laughs> which, of course, was when I was mostly covering sports in the city. Uh, and then, obviously, it took off with the Patriots. And um, I did get – I covered their first Super Bowl championship in New Orleans and then um, switched over to news uh, the next year in 03. Yeah. And, I mean, do you ever miss just covering sports? Do you well, like where you're at? Or I like where I'm at now. I, there are times you do miss it. It's like, oh, man, I'd like to be at that game or this is really a cool thing to have been, been able to cover. But at the same time, on your day-to-day stuff, I think things have changed, especially if you go down to Foxborough, the access that you have, the restrictions that teams are putting in place now. It seemed to me it was a little bit easier uh, back 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, to be able to cover teams and get access to certain things than, than it is now. So from that standpoint, it would be kind of frustrating. The Patriots kind of are, are like Fort Knox down there, yeah. uh, the Kremlin, if you will. People have made that comparison where it's tough to get information, yeah. and that makes it more challenging. Plus, there are more outlets now, so you're, you're battling more people, and it's it's a little more crowded than it was. Yeah, I mean, I read an interesting – It was I think Dan Shaughnessy wrote a column about it with the whole Tom Brady thing and, like, how he, it was a little weird that like he thought he kind of owes answers but like he made a good point that if you look at it 15 years ago or however long it's been at this point where Tom Brady's a third yeah. fourth string quarterback he'll talk to you any day of the week about whatever sure. we're going to learn the Red well, Sox I, I remember um after the Patriots had had won the Super Bowl and he replaced Bledsoe and then Bledsoe came back uh and they decided you know the old you can't lose your job to to an injury uh, was tossed aside, and they kept Brady in there because the team was winning, and he was moving the ball offensively, and he was the guy. So once the Super Bowl was over, and the next year, Tom Brady was starting to become Tom Brady, he wouldn't do interviews at the podium. He wanted to do them at, at his locker so he could still be one of the guys and not look like he's you know, somebody different or, oh, all of a sudden you won the Super Bowl, and now you're on the podium, and you've changed your approach. Um, so at, at the outset, he didn't do that. Now, obviously, it's a completely different set of circumstances for him and for the team yeah all right and well, i'm not saying that's a bad thing but that's just how it is well we're going to take a quick little break here for an interview with uh matt parziali with butch stearns from sports Wrap this week uh heading into the u.s open some good stuff there so we'll let butch take it away joined by our good buddy matt parziali in studio matt how you doing very good thanks for having me good to see you. now are you the firefighting golfer or the golfing firefighter either way it's fine with me so <laughs> good <laughs> to see you yeah what have you been up to uh, I've been busy around here, playing some events, uh, traveling a little bit down to Long Island, played some practice around at Shinnecock, and also played the Travis down there. And then uh, just got done with the Hornblower yesterday at Plymouth Country Club. Well, you just got done with the Hornblower because you won it, right? Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a fun fun couple of days down at Plymouth. The members there make it such a, such a special uh, event, and I was fortunate enough to win in the playoff. How has playing in the Masters changed when you compete in other tournaments now? Has it? No, it hasn't. Really? Uh, I just I love to compete. Um, if I think it gets easier, then that's not that's not me. It's always always hard, always ready to go in the moment. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun to compete. Well, well, we all know golf's a humbling game, right? Um, but from what, the intensity of playing the Masters or whatever, the scrutiny of it, how you handled it, when you come back, are you able to? Is it still the same game? Do you still have to concentrate as much? I guess I'm asking. Absolutely. Um, if it changed, I'd probably give it up. I just 
really enjoy getting ready for that, those feelings. And I love being in, in contention. And that was great down the stretch yesterday with a chance to win, a chance to get into a playoff. And uh, I live for that stuff. You came and joined us right after you had your Masters experience last time, and now you're heading to the U.S. Open. Before we talk about that, let's talk about Tiger uh, in this tournament and this weekend. Uh, since you played with him, he's been playing better and better and better. He's not scoring, and he's yeah. not competing for, uh, for championships yet, but uh, what did you see when you played with him? What did you guys talk about? Are you surprised that he's playing well? Not at all. Uh, he's, hitting, he's hitting it so well. He just needs to get in contention. When he does, he'll win. You don't, you don't lose that down the stretch how to finish a tournament and he has that better than anyone and once he gets there he'll he'll finish it off like he always says it's just a matter of working his way back so so the way he's striking the ball now is it similar to the way he used to strike the ball I'd say so I mean he's in my opinion he's the best iron player we've ever seen really? and I, I saw a stat I was at the golf course earlier I saw a stat of the greens in regulation for the last four days and they were off the charts. So um, not surprised at all. What surprised you when you hung out with him and when you played that nine holes with him? I think just the control. He's never going to be coming in from a wrong angle. If he's going to be right, he's going to be right, whether it's a fairway right in the woods right. He's going to be coming into that pin on the right angle, and that's probably – he's just such a good manager of the game and obviously has talent to back it up. He's gone through so much, and now he's you know coming back, and he's – been arguably the greatest golfer ever. Um, it's kind of fun to watch, isn't it? When I talk, uh, when they come locally to Ricky or Rory or any of them, they all want Tiger back in contention. Yeah, he's uh, he's made them a lot of money, so <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty uh, it's pretty good for them that he's competing again. Uh, there's excitement about the game. There's people talking about tournaments they might not have talked about because he's playing in them, and uh, he's just so fun to watch. He just draw whether he's playing good or bad. It's just everyone wants to see every shot he hits. You had your master's experience. The U.S. Open is a whole different thing. Um, you know, the way they cut the rough and, and all this and that. What are your thoughts about it? Do you think your game might be better suited for the U.S. Open than it was for the Masters, or what are your thoughts about it? I hope so. The Masters didn't go too well. But uh, Augusta, there's a little bit of knowledge there. Not that there's a knowledge at Shinnecock, but they haven't been there since 04. So I'm not saying everyone's on a level playing field when it comes to knowledge of the course, but... I think that'll help me a little bit. And it's more just hard in front of you. Augusta's just hard because you need to know so many things. Um, but Shinnecock's very difficult. So in general, what, what's your strategy going to be at the U.S. Open compared to the Masters? The Fescue's pretty long. So first tee shot, I mean, the first shot, the tee shot has to stay out of the, out of the deep stuff. Um, it's very penalizing. I was down there a couple weeks ago, and it's pretty thick. So hopefully the spotters will find my ball if I hit it in there. So Who, who are the golfers right now? that you've watched when you do watch that are playing really well, the guys you admire, maybe the guys you take something from their games? Yeah, um, I don't have any practice on set up, but I'll try to get in with some of those guys and get some ideas from them. Um, obviously, Tiger, he's, I mean, how can you ever count him out? Um, Webb won the players. That was a pretty good performance there. And then Bryson won the playoff today. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of guys playing well. That'll be exciting. DJ's always up there. He plays U.S. Opens well. Rory, he smashes the driver, so uh, the course is long, it's tight, so I'm sure he'll have a good week as well. Some people out there might think this is a stupid question, but you're a golfer, and there's history with the Masters unlike any other, but it's also a lot of history with the U.S. Open. There's Payne Stewart. It, it happens on Father's Day, and of course your story with your dad yeah. is cool, so you got to be looking forward to the U.S. Open almost as much as you look forward to the Masters, huh? Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to qualify for the U.S. Open for 20 years, 15 years, local qualifiers, sectional qualifiers. The Masters is, if you win one tournament, you get in. So I've, 
I've had more chances to qualify for the U.S. Open. So, um, yeah, well, I'm excited to compete at this level. It's, it's pretty thrilling. So, looking forward to that for sure. So, Matt, what's the coolest thing that's happened to you since the Masters? Uh, well, so I was playing the Travis, which is at Garden City Club down in uh, New York on Long Island, and I, I was able to make a hole-in-one in my first match. It's a match play event. Yeah. And the opponent I played, he had birdied one. He hit to four feet on two. I had made the one there, and then he birdied three. So he was, he was one up, so it was an exciting start. And it happened at 9.30 in the morning of a 36-hole day. So it could have been a very expensive day, but I was a member <laughs> for the week. <laughs> And the club president said, everyone drinks for free the whole day, so I ended up being the hero of the day. There so you go. that was pretty cool. There yeah. you go, drinks yeah. on Matt. Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, we'll be watching it. We'll be rooting for you in the U.S. Open. Good luck. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, All right. Matt. And we're back, and Gene kind of led right into my uh, next topic here with the Pats, with OTA starting. I mean, you look at anywhere else in the country, I don't think OTA starting is really a big deal. If you look at Cleveland, it's just kind of they're showing up, but <laughs> – in New England, it seems like a national holiday at this point, and it's well, especially I, big with Tom Brady oh, and Rob Gronkowski coming back and everything like that. But, I mean, do you think – I mean, with the offseason, it was a weird one, Tom Brady, morale, everything like that. Do you think it was a bigger deal? Like, did, did we make it a bigger deal than I, it I really think, was? I think we did. Um, but you only can go by what's happening at that time. When September rolls around and they're playing their first game and then they start rattling up win after win after win, which is what we expect – None. This won't even be discussed. Yeah. This will be like, who cares about what happened at OTAs? And can you believe we made a big deal out of that? Like, like Brady and and, and Gronk not being there at the at the voluntary workouts. Um, like that is really going to have an impact on what happens. Optional the stuff season. here, right? And, <laughs> and usually they're there. And I understand people are like, well, it kind of it speaks to a trend of of maybe some unsettling things or some discontent within the organization. Maybe they have a problem with Belichick, and that's why. So all of that, I get it. But at the end of the day, it's not going to affect what happens when the season rolls around. They're still going to be clicking it on all cylinders and be the team to beat, assuming they stay healthy and that there are no other concerns with you know, Gronk getting hurt or anything like that. So if they're healthy, they're going to be right there in what happened at OTAs, which, by the way, used to be called practice back in the day. Now, now it's typical NFL. We have organized team activities or OTAs. Voluntary workouts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Instead of saying, hey, it's a mini camp. Uh, but, but now they have to have this fancy title like it's the CIA or something. But yeah. I, I think when, when the season rolls around, no one's ever going to remember what happened here. But now if they get off to a bad start, then, then it really will be uh, revisited. But I don't see that happening. Well, I think a big thing, too, and I forget when it came out at this point. It was such a long time ago, but that Seth Wickersham yeah. ESPN story kind of planted. Like December, all, I think, right? Or it, it November, December? It seems like forever ago, yeah. and it actually wasn't that long ago, and it kind of planted these seeds and who's giving that info and everything like that. There were talks that, like, Belichick was giving source, that info. Right. And, I mean, it was just a weird, confusing situation, and now fast forward, was it? I mean, six months at this point, and we're still talking about right. that story. We're talking about morale and I mean, personally, I think there is something there. I think sure. it is being made bigger. But is it enough to derail them from yeah, winning football? Yeah, I don't think you know, that, it's that really that That surface last year, the end of the season, they wound up you know, finishing the regular season. They wound up getting through the playoffs without any problems. They wound up going to the Super Bowl. Again, there are other problems. My bigger issue with, with Bill Belichick would be, why didn't you play Malcolm Butler as opposed to, well, what's your relationship with Tom Brady and Gronk? Yeah. And we never got that answer, and, and I'm not sure we ever will. But that remains a mystery. So I think for the first time, you look at Belichick and you and you question, all right, well, what what was the motive there? Why did that happen? That didn't make any sense because defensively, the way they were playing, then you take some guy from the fifth row and say, can you can you tackle? Can you yeah. 
Come on down. I could I could have played in the Super right. Bowl. And they probably could have won. Who had started most of the games was a capable player who had the respect of his teammates who could have made a difference. Maybe certainly couldn't have been any worse. I uh, think would have. I think that's yeah. safe to say he would have. And, and he didn't. He didn't step on the field except for that one what punt return or whatever it was. So. Like right off the. I think it was the kickoff. Like, yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> one, it was one, one special teams play. Yeah, and I mean we talk about it all the time that like morale. It seems like such a small thing like from the outside looking in, but. I mean, I think there really is an issue there. And you look at, I mean, you talked about Belichick, those issues. Do you think that this becomes an issue over the next Well, we're going to we'll find out. This year could be interesting because if, if we start to see that what's happening on the field is not what we're used to, then I think you can say, okay, well, there's something here to, to Bill Belichick and maybe players are tuning him out. I mean, it's been – he's had a long ride down the air, and it's unusual for a coach to stay in one place that long. Not an easy guy to play for, but he gets results. So maybe, uh, you know, it appears that Gronk and, and Brady and maybe others, uh, we, we saw sort of a Danny Amendola making some uh, veiled comments on the way out about not having fun. Um, we'll find out if there's something to that. But it's been 18 years, and whenever you're with, especially for Brady and Belichick, they've been together the whole time. So it's only natural for that relationship to get frayed a little bit that's that's going to happen over time you know you have your brothers you fight with your brothers you know and it doesn't mean that still love them <laughs> yeah it doesn't mean you don't love them any less and it doesn't mean you wouldn't do anything to help them but it just is a natural sort of human thing where after a while you get sick of each other so is it enough to to derail the overall goal of winning another championship I don't think so, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Do you think the whole, like, having fun mentality is, like, the way to go? I mean, if you're winning, does it matter if you're having fun? We no. saw Teddy Bruschi become like, you're just not tough enough if you think that's the right. case. Right. I think there's something to that. You have to be the right player, the right mindset here. Chris Long came the in. The Patriot and, way. Yeah, people want to win a Super Bowl. They come here. But I saw uh, there was an agent quoted, and I forget who wrote the, the column. It was in the Globe, I believe. And it was very interesting that uh, this reporter talked to an agent who said, most of the players are now motivated by, by four things, money, 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 and money. They don't care about championships. They know that the career is short. They want to make sure they make money while they can. They want to make sure they're taken care of. And if they happen to win a championship along the way, that's great. But that's not the driving factor for a lot of these guys. And I thought that was pretty interesting that, you know, if you look at it from a football mentality, the career is short, and you want to make it while you can. And that's the motivation, not coming into the league saying, I want to win a championship. I think, as I mentioned, Chris Long, a guy who had been in the league for so long, wanted to win that championship, and he knew where to go to get it. So I think what you may have is – Then he case, got himself another one. And then he got himself <laughs> another one. So I think you'll see guys who are maybe veterans who want that ring. They've been in the league long enough. They've survived. they made their money. They now want a ring, and that's where, where you can attract the free agents here in Foxborough. Yeah. I mean, speaking of wanting a ring – what do you think the next eight months, I'd say just in New England at this point, because the Red Sox have a real chance, depending on what happens with the Astros. What are your pred predictions for the next eight months of New England sports with Red Sox, Pats, even the start of the Celtics season, yeah. what's going on? Well, I just want to avoid the June swoon for the Red Sox, which we've seen in previous generations. Of late, that hasn't been the case. I've been impressed. I, was, I kept waiting for the long losing streak to come in. That hasn't happened. Um, and, and they've been winning games without – uh, Chris Sale being sharp yet, so uh, that's a good sign. The thing that strikes me is that uh, it, it would be shocking if they're not in the playoffs because the rest of the league is so bad. There are not that many good teams around the league. In the American League, you've got Boston, New York. I don't even know if I'd count anybody from the Central, but I guess Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, and then if you, you had got, to pick one. <laughs> yeah, Seattle's playing well right now. Obviously, Houston's very good, and, and the Angels could, could, could make a run. They've got the ability to do that. Other than that, 
you know, it's a cakewalk. So yeah. they'll they'll be in the playoffs, and it's a matter of okay, how healthy are they? Where do they match up? Where do they match up? Uh, does does JD Martinez keep hitting like he's hitting, and uh, does that help the rest of the lineup? Because you've seen uh, Benintendi turn it around, Bogarts uh, continues to hit well. Will he go through a slump? So Mookie Betts, what's Mookie his Betts, status? Is I mean, he, right? Can he get healthy and get back in there? So potentially, um, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna be there at the end. Just how do, how does it match up in the playoffs? That's the next question. All right, sweet. Well, that's all I've got for you on this one. I mean, I I'll really the Celtics, appreciate. I don't expect them to do much, but they'll be very good next year. Um, you know, when you've got uh, Kyrie Irving and, and Gordon Hayward coming back healthy, and uh, Bruins, I think they need to make a couple of uh, improvements. Be curious to see if they re-sign Rick Nash, but they're going to be they're going to be a good team again next year as well. So right. it's it's still a great time to be a Boston sports. Pats team. Super Bowl. Uh, Pats uh, until someone knocks them off. Got to beat. I don't see it happening. It? You gotta Tell me who's going to beat him in the AFC. I, I don't. I don't see Steelers, it. Steelers, maybe, probably not. Maybe if this fun thing really is an issue yeah. and it all it Steelers, all winds people, down. Um, I don't. Know. I'll also be curious to see what the Raiders do um, with Gruden if they can get something going. But the Steelers, Jacksonville, still a good team. Um, I called that three years ago. I'm just saying. Yeah. I, I wrote an article saying. Like, don't look now, but the Jaguars are coming yeah. or something. And obviously, a year off. They had that, like, really off year, and then all of a sudden, skyrocketed. Right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pat myself on the right. back, no, you take I got I to gotta take, take my take hits a, where I get take them. Take a bow. Take a bow. You've earned it. Thanks. But other than that, there's, again, nobody uh, in the NFL right now that appears to be uh, a challenge to the Patriots. Someone could emerge. And, uh, again, injuries could play a factor. But as we sit here and talk today, who's, who's going to knock them off? Awesome. All right. Well, that's all I've got for you. I really appreciate you coming on. Awesome. Thank you, my friend. You can find all of our stuff on uh, boston25news.com. You can follow us on Twitter at expandonthat25. You can follow myself at dabumpus17. Gene, if you want to give yourself a little plug, a little social plug, where where can they find Uh, you? I'm Twitter at boston25gene. There you go. All right. Living the dream here. But (laughs) thanks for coming on. really appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll talk to you guys next week.